to Architecting. I'm your host, Angela Mazzi. You made it. This is the landing pad for raw honesty about connecting your career with your purpose. I'm going to give you the tools you need to be an unapologetic advocate for yourself and others, because if you're here, you believe that the space we surround ourselves in matters and you're committed to project by project building a better world for all of us. If you're with me, let's get architecting. Hey there, bright lights. It's Angela. We are celebrating Women's History Month all month this March, and I am so excited to bring you this episode to celebrate International Women's Day, which will be on March 8th, tomorrow. So this episode is a little bit in advance, but hopefully it will inspire you and help give you reasons to celebrate. And in this time of tragedy for the Ukrainian people, I wanted to take a moment for all of you to take a breath and to send love and peace their way. And especially I wanted to celebrate Elena Zelensky, who is the First Lady of Ukraine. Elena is also an architect. Among the things she is doing is truly being a support to her people, a steadfast leader, and helping them to see hope and possibilities So please send your thoughts out to her and her people as they continue to persevere and we know that they will prevail in this time of darkness. Each year, there is a campaign theme for International Women's Day. This year, the theme is Break the Bias. There can often be hidden bias in the way we think about who women are, what they're capable of, what expectations we should have, what hopes and dreams we're eligible to dream. This year, they're calling us to be conscious every time we do not live in a world free from bias, stereotypes, and discrimination and to consciously work to build a world that is diverse, equitable, and inclusive. To celebrate this theme, I interviewed three women and asked them to tell their stories of how they are breaking bias in their own lives. Each of their stories as just beautiful mirrors for all of you Starting with your attitude and your belief about what's possible, you can begin to claim a better life for yourself and in so doing for all women everywhere. First up, we have Amy Baker. Amy is going to spend some time talking about her work doing construction administration, which, as we all know, is very stereotypically a role on projects that is more commonly assigned to male architects. 
Not only is Amy a really strong leader in this role, but I love what she had to say about setting the tone with her colleagues as the construction phase starts so that expectations are shifted. So let's take a listen. Hi, Amy. It is good to have you with us today. Can you tell us a little bit about your background? Yeah. Hi. Thanks for having me. My name is Amy Baker, and I am an architect and a spec writer based in Royal Oak, Michigan. And I have historically been working in the profession at large firms for the past. Um, well, I have I have about nine, almost 19 years of experience, and most of that was working at large firms in the Metro Detroit area. And a little over three years ago, I decided to work independently and start a business. And I currently provide architectural services for small commercial projects. But most of what I do is writing specs for other architects as a consultant. It's kind of a specialty business within the profession, and it's something I really love, and I'm really glad to be able to do uh, that sort of unique skill set as my full-time job. So that's a little bit about me. I understand the um, topic has to do with breaking biases in the profession with an interest in female viewpoints and how we do that as women in architecture. So I wanted to talk a little bit about that because I do think that there are a lot of things to unpack regarding this subject. And my experiences with this topic have been mostly positive. So I thought I would share that because I think that a lot of times what we hear about are a lot of negative experiences. And for sure, that is a thing that happens. And I know that many women have struggled with this. So I, I'm hoping that my story can help some people out. Like I said, I've been involved in architecture, but in a more technical capacity for most of my career. I don't provide any design services and I never really have. So one of the things that I'm constantly up against is an assumption that I'm a designer, which I most certainly am not. Nobody wants to see me design anything. I have often at a job site with a new contractor been asked or, you know, an assumption's been made that like I'm going to represent the architectural team from more of a, a design standpoint, which has never really been the case. And at first I was a little offended by that because I take a lot of pride in being more technical and being involved on the construction side of things and CA services and spec writing and detailing and all of those things. But then I realized it's, it's, it's not really hurting me necessarily that they're assuming that I'm a designer. Over the course of my career, I've been kind of working through that. But then more recently, I would say in the last 10 or so years, five years, something along those lines, I, it's, it's become kind of a, a fun game I like to play when my projects go into construction, is how many interactions with a new contractor do I think it's going to take to totally flip their perspective about women that are technical in the profession. I'm really happy to report that it really only takes a few sort of interactions, a few RFIs, a few conversations about construction, detailing, how materials go together. And then I find what happens is exactly the opposite that um, I think most women are afraid of. Uh, I all of a sudden become their most favorite architect to talk to because I'm relating to them in a way that, you know, I'm speaking their language, we're working out things together. And I think that one of the sort of like things that women are just really great at is not being in your face or 
offensive or there's no ego battle between me and the contractor. We really are just trying to work out something, work out a detail, talk through a problem. And maybe their experience working with other male professionals is that there's sort of like an ego clashing. I find that it not only flips very quickly after I have a few conversations with a new contractor, but it also becomes a really productive conversation from that point forward. So I I would encourage women to not be timid or afraid of the fact that they're going to come up against a contractor that maybe has some assumptions at the beginning of the project that they're about to sort of be engaged in during CA, but to just welcome that there's going to be a few assumptions and play off of those in a more positive way rather than getting their guard up and kind of like anticipating the worst. I find that most of the time the contractors just haven't worked with a lot of technical female architects before. They're not trying to be offensive. They're not trying to belittle me or offend me in any way. They just don't know. So I think we can take that as an opportunity to share what we do and make sure that they know there is no difference between the capacity we have to answer their questions in an efficient way and, you know, our skill sets are the same as our male counterparts. So, I mean, it's really our chance to educate contractors that just haven't worked with a lot of female architects before. What is your number one tip for that first meeting to kind of break the ice and establish a positive relationship? I think just going into it with an open mind, being curious about them too, right? You know, asking them questions about what their plans are, feeding off of those responses, making sure they know that we're not going to go in there and make their lives really difficult. And, you know, just starting an open conversation with them in a productive way and ask questions and make sure that they know and can expect that you're going to be a solution-driven participant in the process. Amy, thank you so much. I really appreciate you uh, chatting with me today. Thank you. Our next story is one about breaking the bias of a career path. So often we're told that we have to make a decision when we're like, what, 17 or 18 years old about what we're going to do with the rest of our lives and that we've got to just keep slogging through and keep adapting. After working for many years as an elementary school teacher, as a mother of four, Michelle decided that her true calling was architecture. She's going to share her story of how she persisted in this dream, even when she was waitlisted for several programs and is now actively pursuing having the career she feels called to have. So let's listen into Rochelle's story. Good morning, Rochelle. Good morning. I'm Rochelle Casebeer. I live in Ohio with my husband and four kids. We love it here. We came here straight out of graduate school. And uh, I got my bachelor's in elementary education. And I was fortunate enough to be able to stay home with my kids for... 14 years. Then when my youngest was a toddler, I very quickly realized that mom needed something that was just for her. I wasn't sure what direction to go. I knew I wasn't headed back into the educational classroom. As grateful as I was for that background, 
you know, I raised my kids during the, the great time of blogs, home improvement blogs, and all of these people discovering and learning these things together and sharing. And I had learned a lot about various different things. So it ended up that we put an addition on our house and I designed the addition and then had a draftsperson draw it up because I didn't know how to draw it up at that point. Um, I had stick walls, you know, he put all the dimensions in. After we did that and we, we worked with a contractor, but we did a lot of the work ourselves. And when that project completed in 2017, 2018, my husband said, you need to go back to graduate school. And I said, no way. No, I, I never intended to go back to school. He's like, no, you, you really know this stuff. You, you should pursue this. This is something that you love and you're good at. And that thought had to sit in my mind for a long time. Also at the time I was running a furniture rehabbing business along with remodeling our house. So when that kind of ended and I got serious about it, I found the mothers and architecture group on Facebook. And that was a huge just blessing and jumping off point. And it was right about the time that they did a mentorship program. And so I got matched with a mentor, which was amazing. She was a mom. She's a registered architect in the Eastern United States. The mentorship program really helped me to hone in on what I wanted to do and how I could get from where I was to where I wanted to go and eventually to where I wanted to be. I mean, we talked about getting back into education, like researching programs. I received so much encouragement through that mentorship program, as well as how am I going to manage a school schedule as a mom with four kids and a husband who works full-time and travels the world for his job. And just having like that sounding board, that mentorship just made such a huge difference for me. Fast forward, I took the GRE, started applying places. I got waitlisted at University of Cincinnati. And then I ended up taking some online classes through a university that helped me develop some CAD skills and just like some engineering type thinking skills and refresh my math courses. And, and then the following year I was admitted to Miami university in Oxford, Ohio. And here I am now I'm halfway through my master's program and it has been a journey, but it is a journey. I am so grateful to be on. I love this story because it takes a lot of courage to shift when you are established in a career. I, I love that other people connected the dots as well and encouraged you to do this. Are there any tips you'd have for anyone who's maybe feeling like what they're doing isn't right for them to really go for it and take that leap? I think the biggest things that helped me were like, first of all, other people seeing my strengths because I wasn't fully aware. I was kind of searching because I knew that I needed something that was fulfilling, but that would also keep me busy. I wanted it. I was ready for a full-time career again. Having a support system is really helpful, whether it's your friends, your spouse, your family, and then seeking mentorship. That just made such a huge, huge difference for me and not being afraid. It does take a lot of courage, especially as women, we take care of so many things. We're just kind of wired that way. And we doubt ourselves a lot and we are so capable. Yes, there are sacrifices, but there are sacrifices that I'm really grateful to make, to make this possible. This is just another great example of breaking 
through what we think we're supposed to do and instead following our hearts. So thank you so much for sharing your story. Yeah. And there's a lot of stigma too. Like I think some of the fear comes from stigma, but it also comes from people really didn't think that I, as a mom with four kids could do graduate school. I was waitlisted twice for Cincinnati. I was admitted on a probationary semester, you know, because even the admission committee was like, uh, let's just see if it's a good fit. And I'm back here going, this is it. This is my fit. This is my chance. I will take it. So there is still some of that stigma and bias, but when you perform strong, when you perform well, when other people see your power and your abilities and your, what you're capable of, their worry lessens, your fear lessens, and you just become very empowered to move forward. Well, that is so much inspiration. And I'm, I'm glad that you were able to find the resources and the support you needed to really get clear on what you wanted and go for it. Our final guest for this program is Ellen Abraham. You're going to love how Ellen not only relentlessly pursued her career as an architect, but how she used her ingenuity to turn a tool that helped her get over her introversion into a business that is helping architects everywhere to express themselves. Let's listen in. I am so excited today to be talking with Ellen Abraham, who is the founder of Architect Pins. Welcome to Architecting. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for the invite, Angela. I love your story about the pins, which I found out when you made some custom pins for our ACHA board, but I would love to know the whole story. What led you to a career in architecture? So I guess it started as a kid growing up uh, on Dominica. I'm from the Caribbean, from the Commonwealth of Dominica to be specific. I'm an only child and my parents enrolled me into art school. And at the same time, I was doing music school as well, too. But I particularly love art school because we got to paint many of the French Creole houses across our island. I think between the ages of eight and 10, my dad, he designed our house and he's not an architect or in construction. You know, he's a career policeman, litigator and prosecutor. He would bring me on the construction site. He would bring me to see the foundation being poured, the walls going up. I saw him choose the roof material, everything from the tiles, the paint. I saw his ability to read blueprints, to talk with his friends at the time who were the construction workers. I was a really young kid and we walked on the roof and it was invigorating. He was exposing me to construction that he loved. And I figured, you know what, I could do this. So from a young age, I realized that, you know, this was pretty cool. I did not see many other women who did this type of work or who was interested in this type of work. Many of my friends, they went into finance, medicine, and, and these are amazing careers, of course, but none of them went into architecture or construction. And so after high school, I did building engineering at the college in Dominica. And I was first in my class. And so I got a scholarship and I decided to take the money and apply for a school in the U.S., particularly in, in New York. 
And long story short, I couldn't get into school right away. Had to figure out the culture, had to figure out how to survive here. Finally got into undergrad, worked full time during that time. And I was exposed to so many immigrants like myself at the City College of New York. Great school. And it was a great experience because I got to see persons not only from the Caribbean, but around the world, just a highly diverse view of architecture and their journeys. You know, they're amazing architects and strategists today. If I could call all of their names, I would. But that's the, the long and short of how I got here. That's a great story. Um, and I love that when you got here, you got tapped into even more diversity into what is architecture. How did you get to your current career path? Well, after I graduated, I could not find a job in a traditional architecture firm. I had had internship, but I could not find a full-time position. And so I applied to a retail design position at Twin Reed which is a a pharmacist brand, and now they're owned by Walgreens. And for four years, I learned healthcare-focused design, but I also learned all the um, specialties that go into retail design. I got to liaise and learn from, you know, everyone from merchandising to our real estate group, our designers, of course, our architects, our construction crews, our strategists. You'd be amazed the number or the kinds of psychology which go into getting you to buy something where it is on the shelf, you know, your linear square footage, et cetera. Um, So I did that for four years, which was awesome. Then I moved to ACOM and I worked in the architecture and strategy studio, which was a great brainchild for me because it allowed me to not only be part of technical architecture and travel across the U.S., but also to use a lot of the business side of what we do to use a lot of uh, pre-design skills that I had acquired while being part of the Walgreens team, which was pretty cool. And so it was there, I got the advice to get an MBA so that I could have a broader perspective of the business of architecture and just to build on the skills I had learned. And after that, I went to SOM in 2016, which was pretty cool. SOM is one of my dream firms. When you're an undergrad, you always have these firms I really want to work for, and SOM was on my list. I was really excited. But there, again, because it is a multidisciplinary firm, you're sort of able to gain experiences from different studios that do work across the world, right? So I jumped from interior architecture, starting there, then to architecture studios, working on really large-scale projects, and then I moved into um, management. So my first role as a project manager working on a mostly women-led team actually so the executive partner is a woman uh, senior technical architect project manager women on the aviation project and so that was my first project management role which was pretty cool because it's huge it's large it's complex it's very highly specific So during my time at SOM, I was featured in an exhibition called Say It Loud. This was created by uh, Pascal Sablat, FAIA. She's the executive director of Beyond the Built. She has run these exhibitions across the U.S. now. And this particular AIA convention was in Las Vegas, and I couldn't afford to go on my own. And so someone said to me, oh, why don't you volunteer to be part of the AIA crew? then, you know, your expenses could be lowered. 
And so I did that, got accepted. And I went there and the AIA crew, they had lanyards that had buttons. And these buttons, you could collect them across the, the conference, I guess. And they had imagery of Las Vegas, of course, the architecture, architects that were famous or, or high impact, so to speak, AIA logo and branding, et cetera. And there was a lot of competition on how many buttons you could collect. And these allowed me in particular, who can be a bit shy in professional settings, I like to call myself an ambivert. It allowed me to have conversations with other designers across, you know, from across the U.S. that I wouldn't particularly have been able to say hi to. It made it really easy. And, you know, these people are on my LinkedIn today and we check in with each other now, years later, that was really important to me. And so that was where the idea of architect pins came from. I realized that I could not go out and buy a pin that represented a specific design identity that I had, or even a specific design characteristic that I wanted to celebrate. And so the first pin I created was the Black Architect pin. Subsequently, the following year, I spoke at a normal conference in New York. And after my seminar, I showed a group of women again. Now, women are always cool champions, right? I showed a of group accessories. of women, <laughs> accessories. I showed a group of women my first Black architect pin. And it was from my bag, no packaging, no, no website, no pitch. I just said, hey, guys, what do you think of this? And they were like, oh my God, this is so cool. Like, how much is it? What's your website? They started asking so many business-focused questions that I hadn't gotten to. I just wanted to know if the idea would fly. And it was at that No More conference that it was a proof of concept for me. Even the older architects, I like to call them the elder architects, they really said, you know, hey kid, you have a really good idea. You need to focus and build on it. And so... Long story short, after that No More conference, I decided to work on it, started it um, during the pandemic, working from home, still, you know, semi-working from home since March 2020, and I built it out, and the goal really for Architect Pins is to celebrate and to highlight, again, like our many design identities within architecture and construction, and my goal is to expand it to engineering once I get additional funding, because right now I'm bootstrapping stuff. So. Well, it, it's amazing. Your pins are beautiful and there really are so many that you just sell on your website that really hit a range of, like you said, identities. It's a way to say something about who you are without having to say it. Yeah. I, as a fellow introvert, I love <laughs> the idea that you're like, oh, hey, you know, if you can have all this flair just for fun, what if the flair was actually socially helpful? So I, I think that's yeah. amazing how you made that connection. Yeah, definitely. I mean, many of us don't have the best social skills or public speaking skills, partly due to how we were trained in school, right? All those years in, in studio. And so for me, this was really important. And I really hope to grow it. I'm working on a soy architecture pin, architect pin. I need to get the verbiage correct. Working on an engineering pin and hopefully I'll have a pride pin. Um, I just need to get them funded because there's so many parts to who we are that sometimes we don't show up to work with those elements of our heritage, with our characteristics. 
even if it's our ethnicity, our sexuality, even if it's our professional journeys, we just show up ma mainly how we feel our professional setting wants us to look and represent. And so I feel like when you enter a room with a pin, other people will identify with whatever that you are celebrating and you'll be able to make other Aki friends in whatever room that you, you walk into. So that's- Love it. Absolutely. I love it. Yeah, because you you don't know when you choose to wear the pin what you're going to find rather than try to picking up on cues and match people. Yeah. You're putting yourself <laughs> forward. I love that idea. I love it. Right now, you are still working as a project manager and you have this business architect pins. So you're, you know, kind of like me, you're, you got the side hustle going on. Um, <laughs> Yeah. What advice, though, would you have to other women about following your dreams and seizing opportunities versus thinking, well, maybe I shouldn't do that or that's too hard? Yeah, I think imposter syndrome for women is really it's a chronic disease, right? I don't know if it's because of how we were nurtured or cultured, but I take my cues from my male mentors who... <laughs> They step into opportunity and they step into roles, not being 100% qualified, experienced, but they have this motivation to excel in whatever space that they're in. And I feel like as women, we really need to do that. Perfection is just, there, there's a saying I cannot remember right now, but perfection is really synonymous with procrastination and also maybe synonymous with, you know, semi-low self-esteem. And we really need to take risks because... Your nine to five is great, but also what are the other passions that you have or values that you have, whether it aligns with design, whether it's outside of that, that you really need to simulate your entire brain with. Someone is going to benefit from you failing and failing big and failing often. That's another one of my mantras that I, that I follow. Fail big and fail often because the great people that you see it was not perfection. They perfected over a few years. Yeah, they do it messy, right? They do it messy, right? And that's the beauty of creating a company or creating a 5013C or creating a community group. You do it messy and persons who support your vision, support what you'd like to grow, will come along and chip at you until you're a perfect diamond in a few years. That's my goal of Architect Pins. Grow messy, but grow with high impact. Tell people how they can find you and they could either order pins or do like I did if you have a special occasion and get custom pins made. Yeah, um, you can find me at architectpins.com on Instagram at architectpins.com and you can send me an email as well, architectpins at gmail.com. Say hi, let me know what your idea is and we can have a conversation about how we could create your custom pin. Thank you so much for sharing your story. I really love your gusto for trying things, for putting yourself out there in the world, for seizing opportunities, for making uncommon connections. And that definitely is an inspiration to wow, us all. Thank you, so thank Angela. You. I appreciate that, especially from someone like you, who's such a leader and such a beast. I appreciate it. <laughs> Oh, thank you. Oh my gosh. These three stories, each in their own way, are so inspiring. So I hope you take with you 
not to go into situations with your own bias and your own prejudice, but instead go in being the way you want to be seen, and that is how others will come to see you. When you feel called to do something, do it no matter what. And finally, don't be afraid to take big, bold moves. Find the mentors you need and play on a bigger stage because failure is how we learn. Happy International Women's Day. Enjoy the day. Let me know how you are going to celebrate the women in your life as well as your own trajectory. You can find me on Instagram at Architecting Podcast. Take care, everyone. I love you all. Bye. Thank you for listening. You made it all the way to the end of the episode, which means you are committed to making yourself a priority so you can be empowered to do the work you were called to do in the world. How amazing is that? If you would like even more content just like this, please remember to subscribe so you never miss an episode. I would so appreciate it if you left an honest review too. Hey, I want you to know I'm here for you beyond the boundaries of this podcast. You can follow me on social media at Architecting Podcast or visit architectingpodcast.com to download some great free resources. Take care, everyone, and stay inspired. Mm-hmm.